This is Terry Crosby. Andy Steiger. Steve Kim. Welcome to the AC Podcast. On this podcast, we want to help you understand and speak the language of our culture and address questions being asked with intellectual honesty, gentleness, and respect. Thank you for joining us, listeners, again this week. We are back with you, and thank you for uh, listening again. It's good uh, It's good to be here. Hello. Uh, let's just jump right into things, Terry. Yeah, let's go. Sometimes we will just get people emailing or texting us saying, hey, have you heard about this, and what are your thoughts? And that's one of those moments where I'm like, well, we should probably podcast on this. And so recently I had somebody uh, reach out and say, hey, have you heard of this hashtag Wake up Olive. And I said, no, I haven't, but I would take a look into it. And I did. And this is what I found. Last Saturday, there was a little girl that passed away and her mom and dad, Kaylee Haligathel, is a worship pastor at Bethel Church in Redding, California, and her uh, husband, Andrew. They lost their daughter, Olive, on Saturday, I believe. Yeah, their two-year-old daughter. Tragic. They put her yeah, down put her down for a nap, and then she... Uh, Stop didn't, breathing. Didn't wake up. Yeah. They tweeted this afterwards, and it says, We're asking for prayer. We believe in Jesus who died and conclusively defeated every grave, holding the keys to resurrection power. We need it for our little Olive Eleni who stopped breathing yesterday and has been pronounced dead by doctors. So the hashtag wake up Olive has been trending big time. And uh, so our, our prayers go out to the mom and dad, of oh, this little girl. It, everyone it has to involved. be heartbreaking so for tragic. them right now. Oh man. Yeah. When yeah. I first heard of it, that's the first thing that hit me is my heart just sank for this family. Having two children of my, of my own, I could only imagine uh, how terrible that would have been. Honestly, you guys know, when you have children, you're introduced to a whole new world of fears that you never knew existed. Yeah. And that's that's honestly one of those fears is, is my child going to wake up from their nap? I mean, those sorts of things happen where, where children can die in these different ways. It's scary. And this happened to them. I, I mean, their worst nightmare has taken place. And the thing that I, as a parent, really, I'm still grappling with this, trying to come to terms with it, is that there are things in my children's life, many things that are outside of my control. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a paramedic or anything like that. So, for example, if some medical emergency were to happen to Maya, other than calling the ambulance, once the paramedics get here, I have to step out of the way and hand my child over to somebody else to take care of her because I can't. You know, there are so many other things too. Like I walk out on the street, all it takes is just a moment, right? I tell her to look both ways before crossing the street and all of that stuff. But still, there are things outside of my control. And if something terrible were to happen, how how would I cope with it? And in this case, yeah, so, something terrible has happened, something that's outside of the parent's control and that sense of helplessness my goodness. So the parents continue to tweet days afterwards and what they're asking for and, and asking for many congregants and people all over the world is pray that their little girl would be raised to life. So they're actually asking for uh, a resurrection of the little girl. Now, I think this actually speaks to what you just said, Steve, is that when these sorts of things happen, and I think it's important that we just acknowledged that this is tragic and horrible what happened 
uh, with this little girl, and it is outside their control. And so I think it's a very natural thing to do, and a good thing is to pray and to seek prayer. And in fact, if this happened to my child, I would be asking for prayer as well. And in particular, I, I would be praying myself and asking other people to pray that my child be raised from the dead as well. I, I don't think that that's an unusual prayer. I remember when my dad passed away when I was 16. I mean, as nominal a, a Catholic as I was back then, you know, I still prayed. I'm just like, you know what? If God exists and he listens to my prayer, it's not outside of the realm of possibility that he, you know, he just might, right? He just might raise my dad back to life. I think that this is a a normal and good thing that as Christians, we value life and we see death as the way things are not supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And so to pray against that, I think is a normal and good thing. I I think to fight against death, right? We, We don't just give in to death. Our desire is to see relationships maintained and not broken through death. And so, again, I I think that that's a normal, natural, good thing. I think that's exactly where we go to when these kind of tragedies happen. We want to pray from the hurt that we feel with inside of us, right? And that, that, I mean, is so tragic. Such a young life. And, you know, she's passed on. As a parent, horrible, horrible you want your daughter back and all the tweets and everything that has gone out, you feel the pain. And so it's a real, you want something good to happen, something good to come out of it. And, and I guess that's the question, Terry, and that we want to get into is, is what is that good and what is going to come of this? But specifically, so, it, so it's been five days. They were hoping that on the third day that she would be you know, raised to life, obviously, because Jesus was raised on the third day. And this is what I want to talk about, because there is, there is some bad doctrine that can easily creep into our thinking, especially in these tragic moments. And this is you know, particularly stuff that comes out of Reading and Bethel and some of the movements that I've heard of, where some of these right-intentioned ideas— can go astray. And in particular, there's a phrase that the mom uses that I think is concerning, and that is this idea of resurrection power. What is resurrection power? And so I want to get into that. I want to begin to talk about this because down in in Redding, and this is a fun fact, by the way, I was actually born in Redding, California. So my stomping ground, I remember (laughs) being in Redding. It's one of the, the hottest places in the world, by the way. Uh, I grew up most of my life as a child there in diapers and cowboy boots. I didn't even know that the rest of the the world uh, wore clothes. It's just too hot for anything more than diapers and cowboy boots. Last time we stopped there, it was 43 when we got out of the car. Yeah, so that's like 105 Fahrenheit. Like It's unbelievably hot. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the things that has developed out of Reading, that has developed out of Bethel Church, is this idea of people being raised from the dead. In fact, there's an interesting book, by the way, that's called God's Super Apostles that you can check out in this book on page 107. They talk about Tyler Johnson. So this is a guy who actually came out of Biola University, uh, and then he enrolled at the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry in Redding, California. And one of the things that changed Tyler is that his father suddenly died of a heart attack 
in fact, died in his arms, and it convinced him that Christ's sacrifice on the cross meant that people no longer had to lose loved ones and that death could be defeated. And so he started what's called death-raising teams. You can go online and you can read more about this. You can go to uh, deadraisingteam.com. I went there today and was poking around. So there's some stuff that's outdated on there, uh, like their blog, but other stuff is still current, uh, such as events and, and things like that. So this is something that is a that has been praised by Bill Johnson down there. This is something that is that I've heard about. I've heard uh, stories of these teams going to graveyards, for example, or morgues and praying hospitals. Uh, hospitals. So it wasn't surprising to me when I came across. You know, somebody asking me about this hashtag, and then when I went and looked into it, uh, this is a part of of their culture. Uh, but so let's talk about that. Do we think that you know a dead raising team is is a biblical idea? Uh, and in particular, I want to get at the theology of something that was referred to called resurrection power. I mean, a lot of this beliefs and foundation really goes back quite a few years. This kind of thought pattern has uh, has been established even back into the 1907, coming through into the 1960s with a charismatic and Pentecostal movement. So there, there, there are deep roots there for sure. There's very, very deep roots. And the book uh, goes into that a little bit. Yeah. And so as time has gone on, I think it still has that same foundation. And the same foundation is their belief that because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we have that power and ability to bring about what exactly what Jesus has done in his life. In his resurrection, we have that power as well. So raising people to life shouldn't be a problem or a struggle for us to do. Well, it's interesting. If you've heard of IHOP prayer, uh, where you, you've got these churches that are praying 24-7, uh, one of the impetus of that is that this is where, you know, the power is coming from, that the power is coming from prayer, and that, yes, those people who are are a follower of Jesus should be able to have this sort of power. And one of the verses that they'll use, uh, by the way, is verses like Matthew uh, 10, 8. In fact, they'll often use quite a bit of scripture uh, to back their ideas. So in Matthew 10, 8, we have Jesus saying, heal the sick, raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely you give. And there's also John 14, 12, where Jesus is having his uh, farewell dialogue with his disciples, and he says in John 14, 12, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. So it is Bill Johnson's belief that... It be God's will to always heal. That is his his ground and foundation, you know, for what his belief and background is. Anybody can be healed, whether you're, you know, ailment right now or from the dead. There's even some uh, within the movement that think, you know, death can continually be defeated. You could live for a thousand years or, you know, you don't need, you don't need to die. Now, I don't want to go too deep into all this because I just want to really stay focused uh, on this particular with regards to Wake Up Olive and in particular this idea of resurrection power. So let's just hone in on this, guys. Um, what is 
resurrection power. Let's talk about that and then ask, did Jesus give you resurrection power? As I think about this idea of resurrection power, the way that the mom is using it is in this idea that Jesus was raised from the dead, thus that power over death has now been imputed to you, yet you now have this power to defeat death. Now, on one hand, I would say that there's truth to that, that yes, Jesus did defeat death, and yes, we um, are victorious over death because of Jesus, but the question is, is what does that look like? Do we have the same power over death that Jesus demonstrated? And I think this is a really important hermeneutical tool, a way to understand, to read, and to interpret the Bible, is that you always need to read something in its context and then ask, how does that apply after I see it in its context? And so, this is where verses such as Matthew 10 that I just read from is an important one to think about. You know, what's the context? Well, the context we're told in Matthew chapter 10 is that Jesus is sending out his disciples. Also, the context is, is Matthew is telling you about Jesus, and one of the things that he wants you to know, and he makes mention of this in Matthew chapter 11, is, because he, he uses John the Baptist to tease us out, is, is Jesus the Messiah? And is Jesus the one that John was waiting for? And Jesus tells John, or his, his followers, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed. The death here and the dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, those signs that the Messiah is coming, has come, you're seeing those. The work that Jesus is doing, that the work that these disciples are doing, which there's more in there, by the way, that you know often doesn't get quoted. Matthew 10, 9, for example, don't get any gold or silver or copper or take anything or with you in your belts, no bags on your journey. You know, there's a lot of other things that Jesus told his disciples. Those ones don't get mentioned, right? As he's saying to them, listen, I want you to go out. And, and what's the purpose of this? The purpose of this is so that people will see that I am the Messiah and that they will believe in who? That they'll believe in Jesus because the work that Jesus is doing is beginning to take place. Matthew, in particular, as he's writing this, he's, he's telling you this, not because this is what he remembered or, or was told to him, but this is what he wants you to know about who Jesus is so that you will believe in who he is. So these works then become signs of authenticity of the work of Jesus. And have you noticed, guys, that in the New Testament and in the Old Testament too, the word miracle actually isn't in there. It's not a biblical word. The word that we take to mean a miracle is actually a sign. That's the word that the Bible uses to refer to what we understand as miracles. Well, a sign is something that points to something else, right? And what are these signs in the Gospels, for example? What what are they supposed to point to? Well, it's supposed to point to Jesus. So... If you remember that story of Lazarus being raised to life, John chapter 11, just before Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb, uh, he prays and he says this, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. Why? 
that they may believe that you sent me. That's the whole point. And, and so miracles are, are actually supposed to be signposts pointing to the person of Jesus. So when you're talking about Jesus at that particular time, I mean, I always related this type of thought and it's ushering in the idea of kingdom theology. So the kingdom of God, I think, was being displayed and what God wanted to do is show his power through, through Jesus Christ and his disciples. And what these charismatics believe is that from that point on, we have that same power. Right. And so the problem that happens there is, is they don't apply this consistently as what's taking place. What's taking place is the authenticity of Jesus that leads to the cross in which Jesus dies for our sins and he defeats death as a demonstration that, again, that death has been defeated through him, that evil has been vanquished through him, that our relationship with God, and this is key, that our relationship with God is restored through Jesus. See, this is the purpose. The purpose of Jesus wasn't to give you resurrection power that you might bring people back from the dead like Lazarus was brought back from the dead. Lazarus would die again, and Lazarus did die again. I can imagine Lazarus going, it's great to come back, but I'm going to die again, right? <laughs> right. The Bringing people back from the dead was never the purpose. In fact, that would be a problematic. The, the purpose is that your relationship with God would be restored. That's what resurrection power is. And Paul talks about this. this he says, this is the ministry you've been given, 2 Corinthians, the ministry of reconciliation. It's a ministry, this is the good news of the gospel, is that your relationship with God has been restored through Jesus, and that through him we have eternal life. Now, it's interesting, by the way, because I've heard Tyler uh, Johnson use this idea of abundant life. And so that's the way that he'll use abundant life is, look, we have abundant life. We have, you can defeat death in this way that, you know, bringing people back. That, again, my point in bringing this up is, is when you're reading Jesus in his context, you first have to put him in his context. What is he doing? Why is he doing that? What was the purpose of all this? And then once we get all of that in place, you apply it. But this is where bad hermeneutics can happen. Often people do this with Revelation. They'll just go into Revelation, read it. They don't read it in its first century context. They immediately read it in the 21st century context that they want it to be in. When you're reading the Bible, you first read it in its context. And then how does that apply? So you have to take the gospel as a whole is what I'm getting at. And this begins to reveal to you what resurrection power actually looks like. In fact, if you look at Paul, especially in his prison epistles and things like that, I mean, the guy is looking forward to his death. He is writing this with this death is very prominent in his mind because he knows he's going to go see Caesar, and he might have to pay for it with his life. So in Philippians 1, he is writing this letter to the Philippians, and he is talking about how he is torn, right? He says, I am torn between the two, a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So he, he's talking about, if I die, I'll be with Christ. I know where I'm going. That'd be far better for me. But for your sake, I want to stay here. And so I'm torn between the two. And so 
there is no this sense of, you know, because I have the Holy Spirit living in me, I'm not going to die, right? I'm, I'm going to live for thousands of years. No, even Paul himself, the greatest missionary of the, the Christian church, he is talking about his own death, and he is actually looking forward to it. He says, well, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And this is this is where death actually loses its power, right? Death used to be this sort of a thing where it took everybody and it, it'll eventually yeah. be final. But through the resurrection of Jesus, now death has no sting. Death has no victory. The most powerful weapon of the enemy has now been destroyed through Jesus because Death now, really, all it is for for Christians, I, I love the way Clay Jones put it, right? It's just an event that happens in the life of a Christian. So death is not something that we're going to avoid, so to speak, but death just has no power over us anymore. It doesn't have the final say in our lives because of what Jesus has done. And this is exactly what you see when you read the letters of the apostles and you read... Paul's letters in the missionary journeys is you see a power over death in that the resurrection power is that they don't have to fear death anymore, that they now get to live in hope and they go out with that hope. And so what you see isn't people, you know, you don't read about the disciples, you know, and when you're reading their their letters to the churches and, and whatnot, they're not talking about, hey, you know, you've got this resurrection power to bring people back from the dead. You don't you don't read that. What you read is them talking about the gospel, that your relationship with God has been restored and something even more miraculous has taken place, that this message is for everyone, the Jew and the Gentile. You know, it's interesting, that's where the rub is, is they're going, wow, you know, this reconciliation is for all people, that all can be reconciled to God through Jesus, and that this defeats the enemy. And so I want to, I want to just mentioned then, because I think it's easy to misunderstand what's being said here, because on the one hand, that means I don't have to fear death, but that also doesn't mean, on the other hand, that you just give in to death. Death, again, to go back to what we said at the beginning, is still horrible, and it's still something that we fight against. And so, yes, you do see the disciples praying against death, and you do see um, miracles that take place um, where, where somebody's brought back from the dead. You know, yes, you see those things, but is is that the ministry that we've been given? No, it's not. The ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. Does that mean, though, that we shouldn't pray for miracles? Absolutely not. I think that miracles are still a part of the life of a Christian. And so I think absolutely we should be in prayer for people that are that um, have uh, lost a loved one you know, that we're in prayer with them and, and we're seeking to minister to them. And I think that absolutely we should pray that God would restore uh, this child to life. And that would be my prayer. And I think that would be fantastic if that happened. But that's not resurrection power. And to confuse those two, I think, is dangerous. My concern with something like this is that even though it is well-intentioned, right? Of course, who who wouldn't want to see her daughter brought back from the dead, right? Like you don't want to lose your child. That I can appreciate, even though I may not understand this. I remember listening to this former abortionist, Dr. Anthony Levitino, who had an adopted daughter and the daughter was killed in a car accident. And one of the things that he said was, if you're a parent, you might 
think to yourself that I, I, I have some idea as to what it might be like to lose a child. And he said, you have no idea until you've actually lost a child. And I hope you never have to experience it. So I, I can I can appreciate it in that way. Now, my concern is that I remember when we were going over hemorrhaging faith, that study that was commissioned by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, uh, looking into why the millennials are leaving the church in such large numbers. And they identified four factors, you know, parental examples, community, that sort of thing, the teachings. But one of one of the four key factors that they identified was their experience of God. And what uh, these millennials would report is that they were brought up to think a certain way about God in terms of their experience of him, right? So if you pray such and such a prayer, you would see such and such a thing happen. Almost this sort of uh, mechanical one-to-one correlation. It's almost like you're dealing with a cosmic vending machine rather than dealing with the creator of the cosmos. And then, of course, what they what they pray for, well, their prayers are, are you know, often not answered, or they think it's not answered, and they get disappointed, and that played a huge role in millennials leaving the church. Because in some ways, we, we I think, set up our millennials um, for failure because we didn't give them proper expectations. Uh, of, because at the end of the day, again, you're not dealing with a cosmic vending machine. When you're praying to God, God, for his own sovereign reasons, just might say, no. Are you ready for that? Or are you praying with this sort of a mindset that I will have my way? I'm not saying that that's the mindset of, of Olive's mother, but I'm just saying this as a kind of a general caution. And, and I completely agree with you, Steve. I think, it, it, but that's where this idea can get warped. So if we take resurrection power, for example, true resurrection power will always be answered. Whenever a sinner repents of their sin and comes to God through Jesus, their relationship with God will be restored every time. Their Mm -hmm. life will be transformed every time through the power of the gospel. That will never, that power is always there, right? And so that's where the confusion can happen, though, because if we start to miscommunicate what resurrection power looks like, that it's becoming a dead raiser, as they're called. And you raise people from the dead, and that's what it is. Well, then you're absolutely right, Steve. It's a very easy thing to disqualify. All you have to do is start praying over dead people. And if those dead people don't come to life, then either you don't have resurrection power, or in in this scenario, it becomes quite concerning to me because now you've got somebody that is a pastor in a church that's lost their child, that has the entire church and a large community of people praying over this, and you think to yourself, if anybody's got a chance at this resurrection power thing, it's this person, and look at all the people that are praying for Olive, for example. God, why didn't you answer that one, right? If Olive doesn't come back from the dead, I don't know about this whole resurrection power thing. And then I, you know, because I have met so many people And we have ministered to so many people through this ministry that have walked away from the faith for those very reasons, because they had a misunderstanding of what resurrection power was, or whatever it might be, you know, this idea that Jesus came so that you could bring people back from the dead. No, that is not why Jesus came. 
He did not come so that you could become a dead raiser. Unless you understand raising people from the dead to be the way Jesus understood people raising from the dead. And he says this to people. He says, you shouldn't fear those that can kill your body. You should fear those that can kill your soul. This is what he's after. It's your relationship with God. It's your relationship with people. And this is why he died on the cross. And this is the power that we have through Jesus. And it's the ministry that we have been given. So yes, go and pray for dead people that they might be raised to life, both physical and spiritual. Yes, be praying for people that have lost their sight, but don't confuse that for the gospel. And so let me just give you one story as we come in for a landing here that I think brings us home. Steve and I have taught at the university level for a while now, and we've encountered various (laughs) ideas over the years. Uh, And one of the things that I've always done when I teach Bible college is when I teach apologetics, I always have my class share the gospel. And so Steve and I have done this in in amusing ways over the past. One of the ways that we've done this is is, uh, I've brought Steve into my class, and I've told people that he's a Buddhist atheist, which they always believe because he's Asian. And back then, I had I had really short hair too, so I even looked the part. <laughs> One of my final exams was he had to share the gospel with uh, Steve, and I told people if he came to faith that they got extra credit. Uh, and I true story, we had people in literal tears in fear uh, of sharing the gospel. One of the girls actually was so afraid she came back to me the next day after class and told me that 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 experience. Then Steve obviously afterwards would just tell them, "Hey, I'm a Christian." and Here's some areas of the gospel that you could, you know, work on kind of thing. But she came back to me the next class and said, man, that experience changed my life. She goes, I realize that I'm ashamed of the gospel. I got some work to do in my life. Uh, That girl now is a missionary. Uh, Her and her husband are are serving the Lord. I hear from them regularly and excited about what they're doing. Actually, I think they listen to this podcast too. So shout out to you guys. Keep doing the great work you're doing. The reason I'm bringing this up is because one time when I had somebody come up to the front of the class and share the gospel, this is what they did. They got up to the front, true story. And I said, okay, floor is yours to share the gospel. And, they, and then this is what this individual proceeded to do. He proceeded to ask if there was anybody in the audience that needed to be healed of something. And nobody had something that they were, I guess, willing to confess to needing healing from. And so he looked at an individual like you, Terry, that, that wears glasses. And he goes, well, I see that you're wearing glasses. Are, are those because you have problems with your eyes? And this individual's like, yeah, I do. And he's like, okay, well, can you come up then and I'll pray for you? And so th- this individual like, sure. So he comes up and for the next five, 10 minutes, this guy begins to pray over this other guy that his eyesight would be restored. And after each prayer, he would ask him to put his glasses back on and be like, can you see? And the guy's like, no. And so then he'd take them back off again, and then he'd pray harder. And we went back and forth like this until he still needed his glasses. His eyesight wasn't fixed. And then he just sat down. Like, I'm not making that up. But that's my concern when people misunderstand what resurrection power is. You see, he had confused the gospel with a miracle. Healing somebody's eyesight or raising them from the dead, that's not resurrection power. That's not the gospel. That's a miracle. And praise God, miracles happen, and we want to pray for those. But the greatest miracle, and this being Christmas, I think this is worth talking about, the greatest miracle is that the creator of the heavens and the earth was incarnated in the person of Jesus Christ. 
that he loves you so much that he would go to extraordinary lengths to reconcile our relationship back with our Heavenly Father through his life, death, and resurrection. That, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is resurrection power. Preach. I'm getting fired up, Terry. <laughs> so that is here's the hope then, right? Yeah. The hope is is that this mom will see Olive again. Yeah. That Olive is not gone. Yeah. She's with her heavenly father. And we praise God for that. That's resurrection power. And I am so th- this is one of the reasons I had children, by the way, is because I know that we have a great hope in Jesus, that this life does have meaning, purpose, value. That's where my hope is. That's a great place to land. Thank you for joining us, listeners. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada, and we'll come back next week with more things to think about. <laughs>